0: Sixty-eight Shining Moments presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Today, we catch up with Bo Kimball, who took Loyola Marymount to the Elite Eight in 1990 after the death of his good friend and teammate, Hank Gathers. All right, now pleased to welcome in uh, none other than Bo Kimball, a star uh, in the NCAA tournament. Not that long ago, Bo, right? 1990 seems like yesterday.
1: Yeah, just 31
0: years, Jeff. (laughs) <laughs> but thanks for having me and uh, glad to be here this morning. All right, so we want to kind of relive some of these moments, seasons. And, and man, I was a college kid when, when you guys were going through that. And first of all, that offense Paul West had in- implemented had to be the ultimate dream for a player. I mean, you guys set records that still stand today for scoring. It was just basically, hey, you know what? You didn't even have to be open to be able to shoot it, right? Oh, correct.
1: Uh, it was an offense. Uh, it was a scoring system that encourages you that uh, if you run the system properly, you should be able to get a shot every four or five seconds on on every possession. And um, made or miss, we would be. Uh, we would have two of the uh, wing guys in both corners, the two and the three, and we would. One of them is going to be open within four seconds, and if we're open, we're highly encouraged to shoot. For someone like my game, uh, who, um, you know, I thought like I was a, a great shooter, but I was actually a stronger scorer. Yes. And uh, once, you know, for being in that type of offense, being able to just uh, take a three every time I touch it or just take the ball to the rim and never have to worry about mistakes, never have to worry about um, being passive. It was, it was encouraged to be aggressive. Jeff Fryer, every time he was open – Their opponents might have been shocked if he shot 30 times in a row, but we wouldn't have been. Same thing with Hank Gathers, a a player who uh, most big men uh, who played a four position uh, and a five position would not be encouraged to drip, go coast to coast if the point guard is not available. Uh, Hank was able to shoot the ball, get all these offensive rebounds, leading the nation in scoring and rebound. But every time he got it in the paint, we knew that uh, unless he passes it, Uh, that ball is going up and we didn't expect him to pass. (laughs) So uh, it was just a really a fun offense and uh, a really a dream offense for players in our, you know, being in college, being division one, having a coach that says, Hey man, if you don't shoot it, every time you open,
0: why don't you have a seat next to me? Cause that's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. You guys kind of lucked into it in a way, right? I mean, you go to USC and the coaching change happens and George Raveling basically says, Hey, we need to know now, uh, or else we're not going to renew your scholarships. And you end up at, at, at the perfect place for you with Paul Westhead, who lets you go. Uh, Hank leads the country in scoring, uh, I think, in 89. And then you lead the country in scoring in 90. And started with, with that, that season started with a game against UNLV that was kind of crazy, wasn't it? Wasn't there like a bomb scare or something like that uh, in, in the oh, middle yeah. of the game?
1: Yeah, so let, so let me go back to the SC part first. Uh, let me be crystal clear. Hank Gathers and I did not want to leave uh, USC. Uh, we really didn't. We uh, were recruited by Dave Spencer, uh, who's still in my life today, one of my closest people uh, in my life. Uh, he recruited us well. USC was an incredible school to play for. So it was a shock to us when they fired uh, Stan Morrison, our head coach. So we tried our best to stay there, but it didn't work out. As a result, we were blessed to go over to, to Loyola Marymount with Paul Westhead. Uh, that was encouraged by the late Father Dave Hagan, uh, Hank Gathers' elementary coach. Really? So we go over there and we we uh, luck up and be in this, in this offense. And uh, so now transitioning to um, UNLV. So every year at Loyola Marymount since uh, 86, we led the nation in scoring, averaging over 100 points a game. Uh, and I think our senior year was about 124 points a game. Uh, so now our senior year, we go up against UNLV, the first game of the season. And, you know, they have Larry Johnson, uh, Greg Butler. Uh, they have Greg Anthony, Anthony Hunt, uh, Stacy Augment. They are loaded with oh, NBA first rounders. And they had a great team. And, and Terry um, and uh, Tark was the coach. But they called the bomb. Make a long story short, they called a bomb threat. We were on like a 28 to 4 run, and by the way, that game is televised on ESPN, and people want to see it for themselves. They called a bomb threat. We was on a 28 to 4 run, and the only bomb that was uh, in the building uh, was Loyola Marimont on a 28 to 4 run. Uh, so they called the bomb threat, stopped play for about 20 minutes, about four minutes before the halftime. And then we had a normal halftime break, so they kind of cheated us out of the experience of taking teams conditionally over the edge and see how they navigated that one. And obviously, uh, you know when we played them in a the tournament, uh, Hank was you know had um, Hank had died, so we didn't get that opportunity to play them again. And uh, unfortunately, they wouldn't have been able to call a bomb threat. But I humbly believe, with no disrespect to UNLV, because they were an amazing team, that if Hank Gathers would have been alive, I really do believe we would have uh, won the championship because the moment the ball went up, uh, they would have been down by 20 because we averaged 124 and they averaged
0: uh, 104. So was what right, it meant to be. Did you but, ever find out? Did anybody ever ever admit that they called in the bomb threat? No, but we we we
1: we know better. I mean, you're in Vegas, and uh, the bookies were like, "Oh no, we ha- we have to have a plan B." So it's smart on their part, you know. So, no but it's, it's all it's all just happy happy talk. And uh, but playing at Loyola Marymount was a dream come true. Playing for Paul Westhead, the the closeness to the the team to Tom Peabody and all the other great role players, Chris Knight, um, it, and Terrell Lowry and Tony Walker, we we were like brothers and we, we were so close before Hank died. And so when he died, the fact that we inspired a nation uh, became the Cinderella team. And every time I look back at that moment, when I look at the tapes, uh, you know, I'm just so proud to be uh, that collectively as a team that we all turned our grief and our pain of losing Hank into our play and, I, and that inspired the nation. And I'm very proud that age 23 that we're still celebrating that
0: 31 years later. No doubt. No doubt. Go go to that day, Bo, that day on March 4th against Portland, the WCC tournament. And, you know, Hank already had some heart issues that you guys knew about, but you know, years later, I assume that that memory is still so vivid. That picture is so vivid in your mind. Um, how shocking was it to, to, to see what happened? And all of a sudden this guy that was such a man child in a way right i mean he he was he was kind of personified toughness and athleticism and strength and all that and you know what what was that moment like
1: yeah so for those that didn't know hank gathers uh you know hank gathers was one that was full of enormous energy endless energy uh, he was always the center of attention the 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 life of the crowd uh, the jokester um you know being friends with Hank Gathers for our teammates, uh, anybody that know who Dave Chappelle is and know what what he is as a great comedian, every time I see Dave Chappelle, I think of Hank Athers, um, mm-hmm. just because he was really just like that. But so, but on that on that night, uh, even though uh, Hank went down, uh, we thought that um, it would be something similar to what happened at Santa Barbara. The last thing that crossed my mind, particularly that when Hank went down. That he wouldn't make it through uh, through the night, and uh, it was shocking to everyone. Um, you know, they the doctors and and uh, the team, uh, from what I read, uh, was trying to navigate how to um, if Hank took the full dosage, it was making him too sluggish where he couldn't be Hank gathers on the court. Right. So they were they're slowly reducing it a little bit here and there, and I also read um, you know fifteen years later that. Um, in the L.A. Times that I don't think Hank went to that uh, to the doctor that day and potentially knowing Hank being so determined to play well, he might didn't take the medication as well. I don't know. But so those factors played into it and uh, and Hank's intensity and determination to want to play well and provide for his family. You know, maybe those things came to a head and it was the ultimate risk not to take. Um, And, you know, when you're 23 years old, you feel like invincible and Hank, I know you, I know how he felt. Cause I felt the same way. And, um, and you just feel invincible. You feel like, Hey, you know, I'm just going to not maybe take the medicine this weekend. And, you know, I need to, I need to dominate and be, you know, Hank on the court. And unfortunately I believe that that was the ultimate uh, sacrifice and risk that shouldn't have been taken. And there's no guarantee, you know, um, when you had a, he had a, a hypertrophic um, cardiomyopathy Uh, and a large heart and there was no guarantee that you know um if he had stopped playing um you know he still would have had to deal with that issue but um unfortunately he took the risk, and uh, we lost him on march 4th 1990.
0: before we continue that interview i have to let you guys know that it's that time of year again we waited two years for this moment and it's finally here march's biggest tournament is back gonzaga's getting ready to run the table slippers are being fit as we speak And our partners at DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook, are putting our listeners at the center of the action. How? If you bet $4 on an underdog in a select game this week, and that underdog wins, you win $256. That's right, $256. Here's how it works. Download the app now and use the promo code FIELD68 when you sign up. Scroll through the list of select underdogs, bet $4 on them to win, and cash $256 when they do. There's no better way for you to put your college hoops knowledge to use than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. It's safe, it's secure, it's reliable, and you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So remember, the code is FIELD68. That's FIELD68 to turn $4 into $256. For a limited time only, must be 21 years or older restrictions apply go to draftkings.com for details gambling problem call 1-800-gambling so he passes away you guys go back to philly where you're from for for his funeral um, and then play in the NCAA tournament game you you get the automatic berth they cancel the wcc tournament Yes. You guys get the number 11 seed, and you open with New Mexico State. Um, what are you thinking at that point? How How heavy is your heart? How hard is it for you to focus going to the NCAA tournament? It's still really, really recent and fresh in your mind that you should have Hank with you.
1: Yes, yeah, as many stories are tied to that. So Hank Athers and I were the captains uh, of the team. And Hank was our, you know, rah-rah spiritual leader, and I was kind of the quiet lead by example type of leader. And uh, but we used to always run around the, when coach starts practice, uh, Hank and I would lead the team around a very casual jog around the gym. And I made the first jog. This was the first practice after Hank's death, after the funeral in Philadelphia, the funeral in and uh, Los Angeles. And I just remember taking the first. After I took the first lap, what I needed personally, and selfishly, what I needed to do, is to just run outside the door and just have a good cry, just let you know, just deal with my heavy heart. Um, I I chose not to do that. Thank God I didn't do it actually. But I what that's what I needed to do. But what I did is I just proceeded around. Uh, the second time, and I and I know, I feel that if I would have went outside that door and they saw me break down, it, you know, the team was kind of gathering strength um, yep. from me, because I knew Hank 11 years, and um, a lot longer, you know, twice the amount of time that they did, the team did, so so I've pushed through it, um, so I just remember that just being you know, just an uh, uh, inspiration. Also, when I was on the way to the game, the Long Beach game, against New Mexico State, I had about 80 letters. And I got a chance to read. It was about a 40 minute ride. And I remember reading about 25, 30 letters from all over the world, fans uh, that wrote to me about Hank and, you know, how he inspired, how our team inspired and how he inspired, how I inspired. And uh, that was, that gave me, I, when that ball went up, I felt like I had the, me personally, I had the energy of, Hank and I, and um, I just never felt that before. I felt like I run for, for days. And I know when we first uh, decided to play, I told um, the team as the captain, I said, listen, you know, the team said, we're going to play for our love of Hank. We are writing Hank's number. The team, the younger teammates were writing Hank's name, his number on their sneakers and all over and stuff. And I, you know, um, said that, look, uh, they said, we're going to play for Hank. And I said, well, guys, look, we love Hank and respect Hank no matter what. So I thought it was misplaced energy to, you know, like if we don't win a game, it doesn't mean we don't love Hank. So let's just kind of redirect our energy. So that was my advice. Well, that advice went in one ear and out the other, Jeff, because I can promise you when that ball went up, the only thing that everybody was thinking about was their love and respect and the pain and everything that represented what they were thinking about Hank. And playing for Inspire Basketball because of their love for Hank, playing for Hank, and um, and as a result, we made it to the final eight, uh, which was for Loyola Marymount at that time. That's pretty much a championship in our mind, um, you know, just a small school and um, and just you know what at the end uh, the fact that we just made it that far without Hank was so inspiring. Not you know to ourselves, we just put that pain into our play. And we had an extra purpose in everything that we were doing. So when we were going for a loose ball, everybody all of a sudden is playing like Tom Peabody, who yep. played like that every day in every game and in practice. But everybody was just playing, um, you know, just inspired inspire basketball for their love of pain. And uh, as a result, we made it to the final eight.
0: Bo, one, one thing that i always remember, and I think everybody who watched that tournament will always remember, is when you shot that free throw lefty. Right. I mean, it was like the ultimate um, compliment, tribute to Hank Gathers. How did you come up with that? And, and what was that like for you?
1: Yes. Yeah, so um, thank you for asking me about that. Uh, so um, father, the late father, Dave Hagan and Hank's mother, his immediate family, my immediate family, they were all in Los Angeles for the for that tournament uh, uh, at the um, on, you know for the weekend. Uh, of March 4th. And so uh, I was talking to the late Father Hagan and I was telling him what the teammates were doing with his number and his name. And I said, well, you know, Father Dave, I'm going to uh, shoot the first free throw left-handed to honor Hank. And the reason I did that is I watched, Hank Gathers was a workhorse and I was blessed to have natural abilities and natural skills, but Hank really, really had to work three and four times harder to become the hate gatherers that the world got a chance to know and free throws was one of the things he spent an alarming amount of time before practice after practice and I witnessed it so I felt that there was no better way for me to celebrate his work ethic and celebrate you know him by taking the first free throw of every game and I told CBS I told all the networks I said listen I'm going to take the free th- first free throw, left-handed. It does not matter if I make the shot or not. I could care less. I want to make it, yeah, of course. But missing it was not going to take away from honor and hate. So it meant the same to me. But I was trying to make it. And the fact that all three of those shots in the tournament went in, Great. when I, can, I I when I look at the, the when I look back at it, I can remember every time I see the the left-handed free throw. I remember exactly how I was feeling at that, at that time. And I can tell you that when the moment I got fouled, that moment that until we we the ball got in my hand, I wasn't thinking about nothing, but my love and respect of Hank, I was talking to Hank mentally, and it was all a, a divine moment to just honor my buddy. And I was saying things like, I love you, Hank, but it was almost like I was literally I had blocked out the stadium on all three shots. I was in that stadium by myself. It was me and Hank. And I think when your heart is in the right place, your, your spirit is in the right place, there's always outer, uh, you know, our, uh, outer power. And uh, Hank and God made that go in because I can tell you there should have been a, a airball or a brick like Hank's because, <laughs> you know, uh, I I barely practice maybe ten shots I would take after practice maybe fifteen to max just to have it look presentable and you know but that was it. You're just, right? you just hoping
0: you'd hit the rim, right? You're just hoping you hit the rim.
1: Yeah, I, I'm just going to honor my buddy, and whatever happens, happen. I wasn't worrying about making it or missing it at all. It was all about honoring Hank
0: Evers. And it mean, went. the craziest thing of that, Bo, is you're without, you know, arguably whatever, one of the top players in the country. I mean, people kind of compare him to Charles Barkley now, and, and that's not far off in some respects, the way he played the game. But you're without him. You're without the second leading scorer and the leading rebounder in the country. And you guys make a run a game away. If you don't run into UNLV again, you probably make the Final Four. How remarkable was it? And I guess how improbable was it, even for you looking back on it, that you were able to make that run without Hank?
1: Yeah, so so ironically enough, when Hank Gathers, uh, you know, fainted in the uh, Santa Barbara game, he was out for about three weeks. And during that three weeks, I went from averaging 35 a game, I had – five games in a row with over 50 points. <laughs> and we won most of those games. We, we played, we beat UNLV. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We beat uh, Oregon State with Gary Payton up in Oregon State. I had 53 in that game. Gary Payton had 48 in that game. He played amazing, but we beat them without Hank. We, we played uh, University of uh, Oklahoma. I had 57 in that game. So I had 50 points or more. And so we knew that we can play without Hank and we knew we can score and do well. So um, to be quite honest, when the tournament started, I actually still thought we were going to win the whole championship to be quite honest. That's how I felt because we, we, we averaged 124 points a game. So, and, and again, when we, when he was out with the uh, getting the medical testing for his heart, uh, we played tremendously well, and uh, we were able to absorb, you know, some of Hank points. Now against UNLV, of course, you know who was so dominant underneath, and then ironically enough, their guards, um, uh, Anthony Hunt, and those guys usually shoot about uh, thirty percent
0: Greg Anthony, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, Greg. They normally shot about thirty percent from the three. That day, they they shot about fifty percent. So we we knew we couldn't deal with the inside, but now these guys are hitting threes. So uh, you know, it just wasn't meant to be, but. Uh, we, we just I've just felt that uh, for our guys, our young team to uh, people like Chris uh, Knight, who didn't even want to start and Hank gather a spot. He's like, I can't replace Hank Gathers. I mean, you know, he didn't want that. Part, but he stepped up and played tremendously well. Uh, Chris Scott, who was a freshman who played hard, had a lot of t- during the season. He would have some footwork issues, traveling sometimes, get a little happy feet. All of a sudden he's playing for with his love of Hank. All of a sudden, he's blocking shots, head faking, passing the ball in traffic. I'm like, so so when I look back at that, it makes me feel so proud of of our entire team. You know, Jeff Fryer scoring, uh, you know, 40-something, 42 points against Michigan. And we blow the defending champions out by Mm -hmm. 35 points when no one, none of the professionals, gave us a chance to beat them. So when you look back at it, you know, 31 years and uh, celebrating our records, our team records, Hank Gathers records, and my 30 records I'm proud to have, uh, none of that stuff would have happened, I think, if uh, we weren't playing for Paul Westhead in his scoring system. And I do hope one day I get the privilege to give a a
0: Division I uh, team that opportunity when I'm the head coach. How did your life change from that run? From that tournament run how did that obviously people knew who you were going into it leading score in the country but but with that run from start to finish how did your life change
1: so a lot of people come up to me and they remember our team so that's which is amazing what we did they remember hank gathers which is awesome you know we think of hank every day and you know um and so a lot of people say well Bo, how do you feel always being associated with hank gathers well, Hank Gather was such an amazing person and like a brother, so that doesn't bother me at all. I had my own identity, as you mentioned, I was number one scorer in the world, regardless if Hank was alive or not. Um, so I do have my own identity. Uh, but what, what has changed is that people remember that time, they respect that time. So our whole story is quite different than a normal sports story. It has success, it has tragedy, and entertainment all bottled in it um, you know, together. Um, so um, when I think of Hank Gathers, I do not think of the way Hank died. I actually think of the way Hank lived. So I think about him and I talk about him every day, either personally or some fan will come up and say, hey, man, I just want to shake your hand. You know, I love that Loyola system and what you did. For him. They talk about the free throw. They remember Hank. So all of that stuff uh, for me uh, to be when you're 23 years old and all you're doing is just doing your best and assistant system is doing your best. And you look back at that, you're part of history forever. The records of being the uh, the eighth pick in the NBA draft, the number one score in the world. After the previous year, Jeff, I wasn't on the Street and Smith magazine list of 500 players. Wow. And I told I told Doug Overton, I said, next year because Hank led the Nation is scoring our junior year, and I knew I was a better scorer than Hank. I said next, he inspired me. Hank inspired me to want to lead the nation in scoring the, the following year. So I didn't say I'm I'm going to try to lead the nation in scoring. I told Doug Overton I'm going to lead the nation in scoring. And the fact that I proved, uh, you know, uh, Mark Blake, who wrote the article uh, in the Street and Smith magazine, uh, proved all of them wrong that uh, I should have been on that list. And I and the fact that. Of those 500 names, I felt that I was the number one player. And the fact that I finished the season being the number one scorer in the world, that's one of the things I say to kids all the time when I do public speaking. And I let them know, it doesn't matter what other people think about you. What do you think about you? And I thought that I was the number one uh, player in that draft. And being a higher scorer sitting at the
0: NBA draft was my dream come true. Well, listen, we, we appreciate you joining us, Bo. Uh, 1990 NCAA tournament, uh, unforgettable, unforgettable run. um, And uh, again, continued success.
1: Thank you so much, Jeff, for uh, thinking about me and reminiscing about our team and uh, go Loyola Lions. And God bless you, man. Stay safe.